Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 301, where we talk to Aaron Thomas from prenups.com about, can you guess? Uh, prenups? Yes, prenups! You know, people talk about, you know, making big financial decisions. You know, there's some, there's a, I think a, a quote about the biggest financial decision you'll make in your life is, is buying a house wrong. It's getting married. It's getting married is the biggest financial decision you'll ever make. And so the idea that you do that without some planning, um, you know, again, whether you get a prenup or a post-nup, you've at least got to sit down and have, you know, kind of a plan for, for how you manage your finances. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And joining me today is David, the military millionaire. Hooray! David and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Whether you want to retire and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards your dreams. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turned to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Okay, David, today we are talking to Aaron Thomas. He is an attorney in Georgia, and he is from prenups.com. Guess what we're going to talk about? Prenups. You already guessed. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited about this one because I don't know much about the prenup world. I did not know much about the prenup world. And I actually learned a lot. You can hear me learning a lot today. You actually, there's a lot of light bulb moments in this episode today. I feel, I feel a little silly uh, when we're, when we're recording. I even, I even make a note. I feel like a fool for not noting this. 
But this is an episode. If you are married, we talk about the post-nuptial agreement. If you aren't married but are considering getting married, there's a lot of really great advice. I didn't get a prenup. You don't have a prenup, David. But taking the information from this show, I probably would have been more receptive to Carl's suggestion that we get a prenup if I had listened to this before we got married. Yeah, I don't want to call listeners idiots if they don't get a prenup, but I consider myself an idiot for not having gotten a prenup after listening to this podcast. Uh, there, I mean, I would say 80% of what I thought I knew about prenups was a lie, and there's so much more to this than I ever thought. And it's almost like setting up guidelines for how you want to run your marriage ahead of time. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you'll hear it through the episode. I was just like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And and yeah, it's, it's great. Yes. So clear your mind of what you thought a prenup was because it isn't. And listen to this show. Aaron Thomas is a well-known litigator having won dozens of jury trials and bench trials across the state of Georgia. He exclusively practices family law representing clients in cases of divorce, custody, and child support. And he joins us today to talk about the super exciting topic of prenups and post-nuptial agreements. So Aaron Thomas, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. So I want to kind of jump right into it with a little bit of background about my own marital situation. I have been married for 20 years. My husband, my fiance at the time, suggested we get a prenup. And I did not respond nicely because I suggested to him that he was planning our divorce. We didn't have anything. I think I had a $50,000 condo and he had $50,000 in like with a $49,000 mortgage. It wasn't like paid off. And he had $40,000 in student loan debts. Like we didn't have anything to bring into the marriage. So there was nothing worth protecting. So When I said, absolutely not, we're not getting a prenup, don't even ask me again, he never brought it up again, and we got married and we've been happy ever since. So I think that I kind of represent a lot of people, especially those getting married in their 20s and 30s, you know, I don't have anything to protect, why would I get a prenup? And now I have something to protect. But, you know, until you you applied for this show, I didn't really understand what a postnup was. So let's first let's define prenup and postnup and then let's jump into it and let's I'm going to put you on the hot seat and ask about your marital situation too. So first let's define things. Yes, absolutely. So um prenuptial agreements and postnuptial agreements are essentially the same thing. Um prenuptials are signed pre the nuptials so that are signed before you get married and postnuptials are signed afterwards. Um so and I'm glad that you asked me to kind of define what these things are. Um so a prenup or a postnup um are essentially a, a written document an agreement that uh, a marrying couple or a married couple will sign that defines how they will handle uh, their finances, yes, in the event of a divorce, but also during the marriage itself. And I think a lot of people kind of miss out on that second piece of it is is they think, well, you know, I'm never getting divorced or I'm never going to plan for the divorce. And they don't recognize that there are a lot of benefits to uh, the actual marriage itself. A prenup can be beneficial even if you never get divorced. 
Okay, so today I learned that the prenup can also uh, dictate how you do your mar- your finances in your marriage. Uh, that's very interesting. Can you give us some examples of what a prenup would include about how you handle your finances during the marriage? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the way that I kind of guide my clients through the process of preparing their own prenup is uh, I like to split it up into three categories. There's kind of before the marriage, there's during the marriage, and then there's what I what I euphemistically call the contingency plans or, or potentially after the marriage, right? And so um, before the marriage, um, you know, you have to disclose for a prenup to be enforceable in Georgia or any of the other 50 states. Each spouse has to disclose all of their assets and debts. In fact, when we prepare these prenups, we literally attach a schedule for one spouse and for the other spouse to the back of the document where they each lay out all of their assets and debts. Um, And just that kind of initial act of transparency at the beginning of the relationship, I found can be hugely beneficial. I mean, how many people do we know that got married and they're like, oh, I had no idea he had, you know, 200 grand of, of, uh, of student loans or 50 grand of credit card debt. Um, so, you know, just kind of that transparency um, off the bat is, is a great benefit before you even get married. Wow. Yeah. That's a huge help. I So you're saying, I can't believe somebody would or people are saying, oh, I didn't know he had this. I can't believe you would get to that point of, yes, I'll marry you, but I don't know your financial situation. But I guess, I mean, I live in this little la-la land where I just know. Um, I can attest to having served in the Marine Corps for yeah. 13 years that that is a very common thing. I had a couple of different instances with service members who they married their spouse, their spouse had six figures in collegiate debt, you know, student loan debt or credit card debt or whatever. And they had no idea because these guys and girls, they like come out of boot camp and they're like, oh, I'm on top of the world. I'm going to get married. I'm in love. Everything's amazing. And they get married to somebody they probably have no business doing in a timeline. They have no business doing with no information about any of that. And then when things go south, things go really south and finances is I mean, we're sure we're going to get into this, but finances is one of, if not the leading cause of divorce. Right. And especially if in a situation like that, like I had a service member who he was in love with somebody who was like 14 years older than him and brought like four kids into the relationship. And then he found out that they had like a quarter million dollars in like student loan, credit card, you know, delinquent, like all kinds of stuff. And then also had like the magic credit card that is, it just never runs out of, I can spend all your money. And, uh, it was, it was a train wreck to try to like unwind and help this guy out of. And, and that's obviously not the norm, but, um, yeah, just to throw out there, it's a real world situation where people for some reason get married and have no idea, which is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mindy, I think you're like me where, you know, you just never get to that spot without having had some frank conversations about your finances. But I think in reality, I mean, you might be surprised how many couples make it into the marriage without having had that conversation. It's not exactly first date material, you know, or third date material where you open up your QuickBooks or your, you know, your balance sheet and, and show it. And I think a lot of people just kind of follow that, you know, that same, that path of least resistance and never have the conversation there's you know tap money so taboo and there's shame around talking about you know how much debt you have or you haven't saved as much for for retirement as you wish you had at that point and so a lot of people just kind of put their head in the sand 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's probably like you said, taboo. If I'm thinking about this, it's probably equivalent to like some people with age, right? Like, so I'm going to use my uncle as an example, and he's going to love this. But like, he met his wife at I don't know a club or whatever, and she lied about her age and said she was younger, and he lied about his age and said he was older, and it was a quite a while they'd been dating when they realized that they were I think 17 years apart, and I had no idea, right? And finances is probably similar where if you have $150,000 worth of debt and you feel like you're drowning, you're not going to come to a relationship and be like, Hey, uh, here's all my baggage financially, please help. And if you are loaded, you're not going to come into a, I would assume, right. I'm not going to go around like, look at all this money I got come date me because I'm rich. Um, so I would imagine it's similar where you're like, "Eh, I'm going to play it really low key here because I don't want this person to like me more or less because I have X. Uh, And so it probably puts you in this weird conundrum where people lie or just don't bring it up for various reasons. And yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Okay. Uh, Let's get back to the question that I asked 20 minutes ago before we went off on these big tangents. But like, what are some things that you can, that your prenup says about how the money is uh, handled during the marriage? Because like I, I like I said, I just learned that right now that that that's what a prenup can do for you. So you have all of your you've you've begun you've gotten financially naked with your potential spouse. Here's all of my assets and debts. Yes, and so um, when it comes to managing your finances during the marriage, there are there are some things that work and there are some things that don't work. Um, you know, you mentioned your intro. I've been. Uh, a family law attorney for years and years. I've done hundreds of divorces. And so I've seen kind of the patterns of things that people do, ways that people manage their finances that work and ways that don't work. And so, um, you know, our parents' generation, it was very common for all of the expenses to be paid out of one account. All the money goes into one account. All the expenses get paid out of one account. Um, And for most couples today, there is a, a better system. And so I usually recommend that couples have kind of three categories of accounts. You'll have your joint account or accounts, um, and then one spouse will have their account. The other spouse will have their account. Um, and the joint account is funded by you know both parties' income. Some people will deposit both of their incomes into that joint account directly, and then they each get kind of an allowance, if you will, out of that account that goes into their separate accounts. Other people will have their income go into their separate accounts and they contribute to the joint account, kind of agreed upon an amount or agreed upon percentage of those expenses. Um, But you want to have these three kind of buckets of different money, Um, you know, spouse one's money, spouse two's money, and then the joint money. And then you can sit down and talk about what are our truly joint expenses and make sure that only those expenses are coming out of the joint account. So, you know, for most couples, that's going to be, you know, mortgage or rent, utilities, groceries, you know, insurance, those kinds of things that are truly joint expenses. And then your separate accounts, you can spend however you want without kind of oversight of the other spouse or, you know, for example, um, in my relationship, you know, I'm I'm the kind of guy I got to have the new, I got to have the new phone every year. Yeah, I can't even tell you what the I can't even tell you what the features are, but I gotta have I gotta have the new phone when it comes out. And my wife, she just she wouldn't spend her money on that. So to her, that would look like a waste. Um, so I'd buy that from my separate account. You know, on her side, um, she's uh, you know, she likes to go out and eat eat lunch, you know, during the during the week. I'm I'm a brown bagger. 
So, I, you know, that would look like a waste of money to me to go out and drop, you know, 20, 25 bucks on lunch every day. And I think if we were seeing each other's expenses come out of the joint account, that can tend to cause, you know, some friction. Whereas if you set up this kind of, you know, three account system that I'm talking about, um, that it can reduce a lot of the tension. And, you know, as Dave was saying, a lot of the arguments that couples have during the marriage. So that's just kind of one example is how do we set up the accounts and what expenses come out of what accounts? Okay. So you just noted that you are married. Do you have a prenup? I sure do. Okay. I wouldn't have gotten married without one. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, good. <laughs> now I'm going to, since you're an attorney and attorneys tend to marry attorneys, I'm going to say, is your wife an attorney? She is. She okay. is an attorney. Okay. So that's going to make it a little bit easy in my oats. Oh, okay. I would assume that that's going to make it a little bit easier to broach the subject of, hey, we should get a prenup because she's probably got a more uh, astute legal mind than I do and probably understands the whole contract thing more than I do and um, probably has seen divorces more than I have and the, you know, the horribleness of a divorce. And just because, you know, in, well, well, I guess you practice family law. Does she practice family law? She does not practice family law. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And I think it helped that she's a lawyer, but I think probably even a, a bigger aspect was that she was previously married. And so she okay. already been through one divorce and all of the financial craziness that comes with that. Okay. And I think that was a big factor in her being open to the idea of a prenup when, when it was our turn to get married. Okay. Did you bring it up or did she bring it up? Um, I brought it up, um, but by the time I brought it up, it was really a foregone conclusion because when we met, we were both anti-marriage, right? So I had oh. been a divorce <laughs> attorney for a few years at that point. And early on in my career, I literally used to give all of my friends and family the advice, don't ever get married. <laughs> I was just, I was absolutely, I wasn't even talking about, you know, get a prenup. I was like, don't get married because people have no idea what they're getting into. And I'm divorcing these people every day. And, you know, no one's disagreed with me on this. A messy divorce is best avoided at all costs. I don't feel like that's a controversial statement to make. Um, and because I saw you know, the turmoil that that couples were going through, you know, in divorce and the expense and the fact that, uh, you know, the average divorce takes a year to complete a year out of your life and the impact on children and your job and your stress and everything else. I was just anti-marriage altogether. And then it was only after I kind of, you know, like matured in my ideas and, you know, met my special someone that I said, OK, you know, if I were I've seen all of the pitfalls that divorcing couples or that married couples go through when fighting about money. Um, if I were going to draft a prenup that would actually help me stay married, what would that prenup look like? Could I reverse engineer a financial system for my own marriage that would let me avoid all of the mistakes that all the divorcing clients that I've had over the years have made? And that's really what kind of like birthed the idea for, for prenups.com. I was trying to draft my own prenup and kind of eliminate the money arguments that I saw my clients having. This sounds a lot like when you ask an EMT if it's a good idea to buy a motorcycle. It's like, well, all they see is the motorcycle wrecks. So no. And as a divorce attorney, I'd imagine it's kind of a similar, like you don't ever hear about the like, oh, this person's happily married. That's not what comes into your daily daily life. 
Fair. Yeah, I, I I see only one end of it. People don't come and hire me when when their marriage is going fantastic. So, yeah. So a moment ago, you suggested that spouses have three bank accounts, his, hers, and theirs. And is that something that you do in your life? Do you mind if I ask you super personal questions? And because I have always been of the mind that it is our money. My parents are still married. My husband and I have been married for 20 years. When we got married, we went on our honeymoon, came back and combined everything. And he made more than I did, uh, but not like grossly more than I made. And we just always assumed that they would be together. And we've never had a fight about money, but we're both considered personal finance experts. So we talk about like, we talk about money all the time. So it's not like we are not normal. Like, you know, I I think that most people don't have all these conversations about money. Um, But it seems like your way could be great, but I can also see issues popping up when there is such a income disparity. Um, Later on in life, my husband made, I think, four times what I was making. And then I stayed home with the kids for a while and I was making zero. And I'm just, I'm just wondering how you handle that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think that these kinds of setups can be fantastic, especially in cases where there's a big disparity in income. So I'll give you a couple examples. Um, You know, in my own relationship, we kind of do what I call the inside out plan. So all of the income goes into the joint account. So we both see every, all the money that goes in there. And then we each get uh, an allowance of an equal amount of money that goes into our separate account. So even though there might be a disparity in, in our incomes in our own household, we each kind of have the own our own spending money. You know, uh, one of the things I like to say is, you know, you can't have two people living in the same household, but in completely different socioeconomic brackets. You know, that's that's a recipe for disaster. There's got to be some kind of, you know, sharing of the wealth like inside, you know, under your roof. Um, and, uh, you know, I, for example, I mean, this is one of the cases that led me to come up with this system. I did a divorce one time where, you know, the husband made like 200 grand a year. And the wife stayed home and, and was raising their children. And he gave her an allowance of $300 a month to spend. A month? And he kept every other dollar. A month. Ugh. A month. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's, you know, borderline abusive, you know, financial abuse, you know. Um, and, um, you know, if you, what a lot of couples will do is when they're contributing to the joint expenses, they'll contribute proportionate to their income. So, for example, if you have, you know, one spouse is making 10 grand a month and the other spouse is making two grand a month. And let's say the joint expenses are $3,000. So that'd be 1500 per person. Well, if, you know, if, if spouse one is making 10 grand and they contribute 1500 to the joint account, that's no sweat. They got $8,500 left to spend. If the other spouse though is making two grand and they're contributing 1500 to the joint expenses, well, then they're left with 500, you know, at the end. And, you know, they can barely, you know, go out and get their own lunch. Um, but what a lot of couples will do is they'll say, OK, we will each contribute, you know, our proportionate expenses. So like the, the higher earning spouse may contribute 80 percent of the joint expenses, pay 80 percent of the joint expenses. And the lower earning spouse will pay 20 percent of joint expenses. Or some couples will say we'll each contribute 
50% of our income to the joint account, no matter how much we make. And that way you kind of, you know, even out um, the impact of disparate incomes between uh, the spouses. Yeah, I think it's it's important to have the conversation. If you don't have the prenup, if you do have the prenup, you have to have the conversation about money Unless, well, unless you're on the same page. So I'm sitting here like, do as I say, not as I do, because I didn't have the in, the conversation about money before we got married because I didn't need to. I knew he was frugal. I'm frugal. I knew that we weren't spending every dollar that we brought in because we used coupons all the time and we ate at home instead of going out all the time. And we would, I'm very old. We would rent a movie from Blockbuster instead of going to the movies. And, you know, these are ways to spend time with each other without breaking the bank. But there's, you know, if you aren't getting these same context clues from your partner, then you need to have these conversations. Like, how do you spend your money? And, you know, we both drove really crappy cars. It's not like one of us was, you know, living high on the hog and the other one was scraping by. Um, But then, like I said, once we got married, we just combined everything. And I think one of the things that makes our marriage so successful is we don't fight about money, but we've also always had a surplus of it. We're just really frugal people. We don't spend as much as we bring in. And that is, I mean, that's going to be key right there is when you're not spending every dime that comes in, there's already a surplus. So you don't have to fight about money, but there's also a lot of respect among like between the two of us, because I don't spend money on things without just checking in with him. Hey, do you care if I buy this purse for $200? And because he's like, no, I don't care. And he's, oh, do you care if I buy this bike for $1,000? I'm like, do you really need another bike? He's like, well, this one's a road bike and I only have a mountain bike. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Or, you know, hey, do you care if I buy a motorcycle? You you haven't had a motorcycle in a while. I don't care. Like it's, we've never had an argument about it, but it's just checking in. He's not telling me what I can and can't buy. It's just a respectful checking in as opposed to, I'm just going to spend this money without talking to you. And that's only on like frivolous purchases. Like when I go to the grocery store, I'm not calling up to say, hey, do you mind if I spend $100 on groceries? Uh, Because I'm the one that's cooking. I'm going to spend $100 on groceries because I need all that stuff to make the meals. But I forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, if, if I could jump in on that, because you said something that I that I loved, and I love that you dropped the word respect in there, because, um, you know, many what you and your husband are doing is you're kind of naturally doing what uh, I kind of coach my clients to do in their own marriages and in their prenups. So, for example, um, uh, a provision that we have in almost every prenup or postnup that we draft is conversations about money that's coming out of the joint account over a certain amount, right? So for some couples, that's $500. For some couples, it's a thousand. Um, for, you know, one prenup I just recently drafted for, you know, a professional athlete, uh, it was anything under $10,000. They didn't need to discuss. You're free to spend, you know, $9,900, you know, however you want, but <laughs> anything over 10 grand you want to discuss. But most couples have some threshold amount that if the other spouse is going to be spending that much money from the joint account, they want there to be a discussion ahead of time. And just like you said, it's respect. It's not 
you know, going and begging for permission or, you know, that kind of thing. It's just a mutual respect of, hey, if I'm going to make a purchase, a significant purchase from the joint funds, that's something that impacts you. I should at least give you a heads up and give you a chance to say, eh, you know, voice your objection or be like, I'm okay with it. And, uh, you know, my wife and and I do that. And we'll even do it for amounts that are under the amount because it's just it's an ingrained habit, you know, and and anything, you know, for me, these prenups are drafted on drafted on three principles. It's communication, fairness and transparency. And anything that promotes one of those three principles is a good idea for me. And so that's you know, that kind of hits all three. You know, we're being we're communicating, we're being transparent. And, you know, some of the idea, maybe I'm being naive here, is that if you kind of build into your relationship these habits of communicating, even about the little things, about being transparent, even about the little things, that some of those behaviors will bleed over into other parts of your relationship beyond just the financial part of your relationship. I love that because you said you were going to reverse engineer the divorce so that you didn't have to get a divorce. And here's all the things that I'm going to do so that my marriage is good. I love that because yes, the number one thing is you have to communicate with your spouse. And if you want your spouse to know something, you have to tell them because they cannot read minds. And if you want to know something from your spouse, you have to ask them because you cannot read minds. I can't convey that enough. Talk, 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 talk. Yeah. Along those same lines, um, we will put provisions into our prenups or postnups that are not strictly financial. So, for example, we'll put provisions about counseling into prenups. Uh, you know, some couples, you know, I, that I have worked with over the years, whenever one spouse, whenever the husband wants to go do counseling, the wife isn't interested. And when the wife comes around and wants to do it, the husband isn't interested. And so, um, we will often put into our agreements that either spouse can trigger marriage counseling, you know, say no more than once a year, but either spouse can just put it in writing, send an email or text to the other spouse and say, we need to do counseling. And you are contractually obligated to do three counseling sessions or six counseling sessions, something like that. So that, you know, when that time comes and a spouse is like, hey, I want to do counseling. All right. You've already agreed ahead of time. You know, once a year I can trigger it and we got to go do a couple sessions. Um, and we'll even put that kind of provision in before either spouse could go file for divorce. You've got to go do three counseling sessions. Sometimes it's to try to save the marriage. Sometimes it's, you know, if we're going to split, can we do this at least in a respectful manner and not go give all of our money to the lawyers? Um, even though I am one of those lawyers myself, I still, you know, would prefer to kind of help my clients avoid, you know, having financial ruin coming from, you know, making the lawyers rich. So, um, you know, counseling is another big thing that, that we'll put into these agreements um, that I think help couples, even if they never approach a divorce. When you're writing a prenup, are you writing the prenup with one spouse or with both spouses together? So under the law, I can only represent one spouse. Um, And so I am writing it for one spouse, but I also don't do the kinds of prenups where somebody comes and is like, I just want to, you know, if anything ever happens, I want them to be penniless, out on the curb, out of my life. Um, there's just, there's enough people that just want fairness and a fair prenup that I don't have to take those types of cases. Um, and I think that most people uh, come in wanting their marriage to succeed. So when I start proposing, you know, these types of solutions and saying, hey, Look, you know, even if you've got all the money, they've got to benefit from some of it by being married to you. Otherwise, it's not going to work out anyway. So um, 
you know, that's, that's, you know, another one of the things that I try to help my clients navigate. So you can only represent what spouse is the other spouse being represented by a different attorney. So in some States it is required for the other spouse for both spouses to have their own attorneys. Um, in Georgia, you don't have to, you just have to have the option or have had the opportunity to go meet with another attorney. Sometimes a lot of my clients, um, to avoid having to pay a second lawyer will, um, bring their spouse to meet with me as well and essentially waive their attorney client privilege for the purpose of having kind of these open conversations in front of the other spouse and let them know, Hey, there's no back dealing going on here. I'm not telling the lawyer to slide in some stuff that's going to benefit me and hurt you at the end of the day. Um, and they'll do it kind of, you know, the whole process will be hundred percent open, you know, there, I can't go share what the client tells me, but the client can go share what I say. That's, that's their prerogative. So, um, that's how a lot of couples will do it because it's, they don't want it to be a fight. They don't want to get two lawyers, you know, kind of going back and forth, you know, and a big prolonged negotiation. So, um, so yeah, a lot of people will just kind of do it openly. You do have to check the laws of your state though, because some states do require there be an attorney on each side. Okay. I'm curious if I can ask you put a salesman hat on for a moment um, to try to help my, my normal demographic that I speak with a lot of service members. So I always frame things that way. The the knuckleheads out there who so I guess going back to what Mindy originally said, right in my head, if you're somebody with money, whether it's the husband or the wife or soon to be and you bring up a prenup and the other person is adamantly vehemently against it, I view that kind of as a red flag like, okay well. You know, in the case where you already have money, but if in a case where you where you don't have money, there's still in either case, there's a lot of emotions that come up when you say, hey, I want a prenup because I can absolutely see why that would trigger the like, are you not in this for the long haul? Curious if you have any thoughts or advice on how to bring that conversation up in a way that's not going to put you in the doghouse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So. You know, the advice I give might sound a little counterintuitive, but if you want to talk to your spouse about a prenup, my advice is don't go to your spouse and say, hey, I want a prenup. Um, I think that is what turns it off. You know, people, I think, you know, everyone has a conception of what a prenup is that is based on kind of like Hollywood and TV and celebrities and the Kardashians. And so, you know, you bring up the idea and they think, oh, you know, they either think like, you know, they're they're planning for my divorce already or, you know, when you just say the word prenup, you know, what comes to mind? Usually, usually it's like an old man and some young gold dick and wife looks like Anna Nicole Smith or something along those lines. I'm dating myself now. Um, and and they think, how does that relate to me? But if you just go and talk about the component parts of the prenup that we're talking about, you know, if you go to your spouse and say, hey, I think it's a good idea for us to be transparent about our finances and just put everything down on paper on the table before we get married. I think it's a good idea for us to kind of establish bank accounts and have a conversation about what money goes into what accounts, how much access to money do you have, how much access do I have to money? How do we pay our joint expenses? Do we want to, you know, my wife and I have a provision in our agreement where, you know, travel is our big thing that we'd like you to do together. So we wrote in a provision where 5% of all of our income will be set aside for our travel funds. So whenever we want to travel, that money's there. For some people, it's, you know, that first rental property that they want to buy, or it's, you know, saving up for the house or saving up for the baby, you know, kind of planning in, you know, 
or retirement, you know, planning in how they want to spend their money, save their money over the course of the marriage. Or then, you know, even if things go wrong and you don't work out, can we agree what would be fair ahead of time so that we don't have to pay that money to lawyers when all the trust is broken down and we don't communicate and we don't like each other anymore, you know, to go fight about the money? Can we just say we both keep whatever we brought in and everything that we built together, we split 50-50 and then we can skip paying, you know, 20% of our net worth to lawyers on the back end, you know? Um, so, you know, you know, I think if you just talk about the component parts, should we be transparent with each other? Should we come up with a plan on how we spend money during the marriage? Should we come up with rules where, you know, one spouse can trigger counseling provisions? You know, can we, can we agree that we're each going to have X amount of life insurance with the other person as a beneficiary, you know, and then maybe after you've, you know, gotten a number of these yeses, can we also just kind of be realistic and say, Hey, you know, a third of our friends are, you know, getting divorced or in marriages, you know, that have ended. Can we just agree now what would be fair if things didn't work out? And if you agree on all of those different things, like, can we just document this? You know, I talked to a lawyer who said it's a good idea to put these things down on paper. You know, you don't ever have to even mention the word prenuptial agreement to kind of get agreement on all of the different pieces of it. And then if the final step is let's put this down on paper, you know, and, and make sure that we're we're committing ourselves to it legally, um, then I think it's a much easier sell at that point. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly 
Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. So back on episode 24 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, we had Erin Lowry on and she said, and I'm going to mangle this quote, but she said, you already have a prenup. It's the divorce laws in your state. If you don't want somebody else to dictate how your money is divided, then you need to do it with a prenup. And Erin is not an attorney. So I'm going to check in with you, Erin. Is that correct? Aaron is a wise woman because <laughs> let, let me tell you that is that is exactly correct. In fact, I've got I've got a YouTube video and I'll share the link with you. Um, you can give it to your listeners. Um, that is basically entitled "Even if you don't have a prenup, you've got a prenup." And the message is exactly that. I mean, that if a prenup is essentially just a set of rules that governs how your finances are treated if things don't work out, then you know. You're either doing that or you're either choosing those rules on your own or you are allowing the state that you live in to choose those rules. And let me tell you, the state's rules that you are probably defaulting to are some of the most unintuitive and potentially unfair things that you can imagine. So, you know, every day people that are getting divorced come into my office and say, um, it's okay because we kept everything separate. I've got the houses in my name and I paid the mortgage and she kept her uh, retirement in her name. And then when I have to tell people that, you know, it doesn't matter. And this is in all 50 states. It does not matter whose name is on a bank account. It doesn't matter whose name is on a retirement account. It doesn't matter whose name is on a piece of property or a mortgage. If you acquired these assets during the course of the marriage, it's considered marital property, regardless of who paid for it, regardless of who earned the money. All of those things are lumped in together. And for a lot of couples, it's the first time they hear they've been married 20 years and they've been paying all the expenses associated with this mortgage or this rental property all along that time, thinking that they protected it by keeping it only in their name, only to find out. And they come in and they say, what do you mean he wants half of my retirement? What do you mean she wants half of the equity in the house that I paid 100 percent for? Um, and finding that out after 20, 30 years of marriage is, is heartbreaking. Um, and there's a different way to do it. You know, the way that I recommend that my clients do it is let's let's flip the script and do make the default what most people think 
So if I go get a rental property, if it's meant to be a joint asset, we'll put it in joint names. If it's meant to just be my project or your little project or my side business or your side business, then we'll put it in separate names. And that way, everyone knows where they stand at any given time with respect to the finances based on how something's titled. And so if you got your separate accounts, those belong to each of you. And if you got a joint account, then that belongs to the two of you. And you split what's in joint names 50-50 and you keep what's in your own names to yourself, and it makes the untangling, if things go south, much, much easier. But it also makes managing it during the marriage itself a lot easier as well. I love so much of this. So uh, one of the things that I always tell people when they're filing for LLCs in, in a partnership is that you need to plan for the dissolution of that LLC immediately because you're amicable now, but you're when things go really south, you that's when things get ugly and you don't want to be trying to figure out how do we solve this? How do we resolve this? Then it sounds like a prenup is essentially the exact same advice as that. So when I put it that way, it's like, oh, you'd be silly not to get this. But I, I want to just throw something else out there. We mentioned Mindy mentioned like the income disparity where her husband at one point was making like four times as much as she was, whatever. So my wife and I are in an interesting situation financially where uh, you know, incomes aside, I am very, she is much more risk averse. So she is very frugal, no debt, cash, kind of more the Dave Ramsey philosophy of finances. And I'm like leveraged to the hilt. How low can my down payment be? Buy everything and hold it till I die, whatever. And so we have not, I don't want to say issues, but, but our view on finances is very different in that regard, where if I see $5,000 in a bank account, I'm like, oh, I can invest this somewhere and I'll figure it out. You know, And if she sees $5,000 in a bank account, she's like, oh, I should probably save some more money. And so I think this is valuable, not just from the in- income disparity, but from the spending habits disparity, right? Because two spouses who both make $5,000 a month at the end of the year, one may have 40,000 of that sitting in a savings account and the other may have 2,000 sitting in a savings account. And it's like, well, now if we split, I don't want to be stuck giving them 20,000 because they didn't save, you know? So I, I, I love all of this and I just wanted to throw that out there that this is awesome. Uh, I am curious what if, and I think we were going to get into this anyway, so I hope I'm not jumping ahead, but what if, So Mindy and I were both in similar situations, it sounds like. I had a negative net worth when I got married, and my wife had student loan debt and worked at a high school, and Mindy and her husband were not financial gurus at the time. And so I'm curious what it looks like if somebody, or if there's even an option, I've heard the term post-nup, but what that looks like or when that is or is not viable when you've been married for six years and you're like, huh, there's a lot more money involved in this than there used to be. It, it, you know, I'm curious if you could just kind of talk me through a post-nup and when it's appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we do a number of post-nups and they come in a couple different varieties. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of the post-ups that we draft, just to be honest, are people who wanted a prenup and just got caught up in the wedding planning and didn't get it signed until after they got married. So they're just doing a post-up because they're doing a prenup late. Um, but for a lot of couples, um, the post-nup acts as kind of a reset. It's a couple that that recognizes that, you know, something's broken with the way that they handle their money and they want to be able to have, you know, kind of a better situation. And so people have come to me in situations. I'll give you kind of a common example that that might relate to some of your listeners. A couple gets married and one person, one spouse already owned a house and the other one is moving into the house that was owned by 
you know, the other spouse and the the spouse that's that's coming into, you know, let's say let's say the husband is moving into the wife's condo that the wife already owned prior to the marriage. And, um, you know, the husband's paying, you know, half of the bills and half of the rent. Um, but it's kind of like, wait a minute, am I even getting any equity in the house? And the wife is like, well, I already had, you know, half the mortgage paid off before you moved in here. So it wouldn't really be fair, you know, for you to, you know, just kind of come in and get 50% ownership of what I've been paying on, you know, for eight years now. Um, but the husband doesn't want to feel like he's just renting and making the wife rich, you know, in, in her condo. And so, you know, we've done situations where we'll say, okay, let's, let's section off you know, if the if the house is worth a hundred grand and there's twenty grand of equity, then the wife will just own twenty percent of the house, no matter how much it increases over time. She'll own the first twenty percent off the top of the house. And now that you guys are married and you're splitting the bills, any equity above twenty twenty percent of the value of the house that you build up is going to be split fifty fifty. And now all of a sudden, now you know the husband doesn't feel like he's just throwing his money away to you know you know give rental income to the wife and the wife you know feels like doesn't feel like she's giving up the equity that she had already built up in the house before the husband moved in and they both kind of have a fair situation and so um often couples will come to me and say we're in crisis we're in financial crisis we don't want to get divorced but something's got to be fixed in terms of the finances. And because I've seen so many of these situations over the years, I can I can usually suggest some kind of compromise that'll help get the couple back on track. We'll draft it, we'll put it into a post-nup, and the couple can sign it and you know, hopefully it acts as a way to, you know, save the relationship. But also, if things don't work out, then at least they've got kind of a game plan for, okay, this is we know what who owns what and how things will be divided in the unfortunate event that that things don't don't work out. Okay. Now tagging off of David's, how do you bring up the prenup question? How do you bring up the postnup question when only one of you is thinking about it? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that it would, it would be kind of the same process of discussing the, the prenup, um, which is very carefully, um, you know, I think that if you just come out of the box, you know, I don't think that people hate what prenups can do as much as they hate the word prenup or postnup. And so, you know, if you, if you don't make that kind of the front end of the pitch, uh, it will be better received if you say, Hey, you know, we seem to be having some tension around, you know, money. We've had fights about money, you know, the last three weeks, um, you know, I'm feeling some kind of way you're feeling some kind of way. Can we get some help as to how we can meet in the middle and find out, you know, what is a fair way to, to, to handle our finances. And, oh, by the way, you know, uh, I know this great attorney, <laughs> Aaron Thomas, who, you know, I know has helped out other couples in this kind of situation or, uh, you know, or have them listen to this podcast and kind of learn some of the benefits uh, that can be gained from getting a postnuptial agreement now, after you're already married and you kind of, you know, you're going down one path and, and somebody is not feeling like they're being treated fairly. Oftentimes, both spouses don't feel like they're being treated fairly financially. Um, and let's get somebody who can act somewhat somewhat as a neutral um, and help us figure out what's a good a good setup for managing our finances and reducing some of the arguments we're having. Now, let's talk about money but not in the in the context that we've been talking about 
how much does something like this cost? And what sort of timeline are we talking about it taking to like start to finish? Are we looking at like a three-month process, a 20-minute process uh, for the the post-nup and for the prenup? Like, is this $1,000? Am I investing $10,000 in this document and, you know, a month's worth of back and forth with you? Or, I mean, I'm sure everything's different because everybody's different, but like, what's a ballpark? Yeah, yeah. Our... Right now, we do prenups and postnups for a flat fee of twenty five hundred. Okay. Um, I, I know you know the way that I like to explain to people is you know kind of the average wedding budget today is like twenty five grand. So this is this is a piece of that, and you know just kind of budget it in. Um, and um, it's we have done we've turned them around in a week. I've had people come to me and say, "Hey, I'm getting married. We're going to Vegas on Saturday." Um, you know, <laughs> usually the longest part of the prenup is or the postnup is getting people who have not paid a lot of attention to their money to actually sit down and write down all their assets and debts in, in one place. Now, you know, Mindy, I know you for sure probably have a spreadsheet and you know where every dime and everything goes and, and you carry the one and it's all tallied up. But for a lot of couples, especially those who you know are having challenges um, with you know the intersection of the relationship and their finances, this may be the first time they've actually put everything down on paper in one place. So um, you know, but we can turn them around. Generally, I like to say budget at least a couple of weeks. You know, the sooner prior to the marriage that you start the process, the better, in my opinion, because uh, it gives you uh, plenty of time to kind of sit down and discuss and have conversations about, you know, how you want your, your money to be handled. But um, the process does not take uh, a ton of time, you know, usually two to three meetings um, with me and my office. Um, and filling out the questionnaires that we provide people um, uh, to fill out. I've even got you know some things that people can do uh, to learn more on the front end uh, on the website on prenups.com. We have a free ebook um, uh, that is entitled um, Seven Financial Strategies for Building a Rock Solid Marriage. Um, you can get it for free on the website. And, you know, like I like to tell people, even if you don't get a prenup or a postnup, you know, like you were saying earlier, Mindy, like just have the conversations. You've got to have these frank conversations uh, about money. Uh, and, and it's just going to be so much better than, than sticking your head in the sand on these issues. Whether you decide to get the document or not, it's worthwhile to have the conversations. In a lot of ways, prenup, postnup almost sounds like a trust. Like it's, it's similar price point, similar timeline, whatever, but you know, people think of a trust and they think of estate planning, but they, but when you really dig into trust, it's like, well, you can set all kinds of ground rules for how the money's to be treated, where it's to go. And if you need to meet this box in order to check this widget to do this thing. And unlike an LLC where you can't really, you just like, okay, this is our agreement. The prenup post up almost sounds like kind of that for a marriage where it's, I mean, so I had the three the three account things, for example. I just heard about this yesterday on TikTok of all places for the first time in my entire life. Uh, although he said four accounts. He did a, a joint account, two separate accounts, and then a forced savings account. Kind of like it sounds like your travel plan, 5%. That, um, But it, it, it kind of blew my mind and got me thinking. And now we're having this conversation. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like. The, it, it's almost like a trust where it's like, well, hey, if one person wants to go to counseling, you're going to counseling. And if your finances do X, then we need to tweak Y. And I mean, laying those ground rules out. I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't see any reason for anybody to not do this. And I don't I guess my question would be, is there any situation 
where this doesn't make sense and there's not a reason to get a prenup postnup. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great question. I'm so glad you asked that because I think a lot of the people listening to this are going to say, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm 28 years old. I don't actually even have any money. We don't have a ton saved up. Like why would we get a prenup? Um, and, um, I mean, there's a couple things on that. And this is, you know, touching on something else that you brought up, David, you know, the, the comparison to, you know, kind of like the business agreement or the LLC I love because um, the way that I like to describe it is, you know, is twofold. One is we totally today, we underestimate the complexity of our financial lives. You know, people say, oh, I don't really have anything. I just got this and that and this and that, you know, when, you know, when our parents' generation got married, you know, so I'm in my 40s, and when my my parents got married when they in the 1960s, and when they got married, first of all, the average age of couples getting married was 21. You know, usually the husband was 22 and the wife was 20, so they were they were very young. Credit cards didn't even really exist back then; they were just coming around. Student loans weren't insane like they are today. You could usually just work your way through school and not have six figures of student loan debt. Um, people had at most, you know, one bank account. People usually kind of had, had, were going straight from living with their parents to getting their first house together, you know, so they really were a, ba- a blank slate. You know, the couple getting married in the 1960s was like uh, two people starting a startup business together from complete scratch, from zero. The couple that's getting married today, the average age is 29. Um, and each spouse usually has four or five credit cards. They've usually got four or five bank accounts. They probably got a couple retirement accounts because they, they didn't roll over their first 401k into you know, their second job because people change jobs more often today. Usually one or both spouses has a mortgage. One or both spouses has a car note, um, uh, student loans. Um, and so, you know, whereas the couple in the 1960s getting married, it was like a startup. A couple getting married today, it's like forming it's like merging two already formed corporations into one, you know, and you're doing it. And one of the, besides all the assets and debts, because people are getting married later in life, they usually got a decade of financial habits that are baked into their lives because they've been living on their own outside of their parents' house for a decade before they got married. And so, you know, and you would never merge two corporations without some kind of business agreement, without some kind of plan for what would happen if they get dissolved. And, you know, people talk about, you know, making big financial decisions. You know, there's some there's a I think a a quote about the biggest financial decision you'll make in your life is is buying a house wrong. It's getting married. (laughs) Getting married is the biggest financial decision you'll ever make. And so the idea that you do that without some planning, um, you know, again, whether you get a prenup or a postnup, you've at least got to sit down and have, you know, kind of a plan for for how you manage your finances. And so to the couple that says, well, I don't have a ton of money. It's not about what you have coming in. Number one, it's about what you could potentially have if the marriage doesn't work out. That's where all the money is going to be lost is on that back end. So so couples that don't have a lot of money at the beginning, that's not a reason to avoid, you know, a prenup or a postnup. Um, and, you know, I would say, you know, to me, when I hear, is there a reason for not getting a prenup or a postnup? In my mind, I hear, is there a reason for not planning out, you know, and how you're going to manage your finances during the relationship? Is there a reason not to get on the same page about how your accounts are going to be set up? Is there a reason not to be transparent with your spouse about what assets and debts you're bringing into the relationship? And so, you know, you know, if 2,500 is just so far outside of, you know, your, your economic resources, certainly I understand that, but you, you can sit down, you know, and use a a pen and paper and at least have some of these discussions and, and, and kind of come to some agreements on your own. 
So when David started comparing marriage to a partnership and an LLC, that was like a light bulb moment. Oh my goodness. I spend so much time in the Bigger Pockets forums talking to people about structuring their partnerships. Hey, I'm getting ready to partner with somebody on a real estate deal. Is there anything I need to know before I do this? And I'm like, yeah, you need to get... I've said this. I've said this and I can't believe I didn't make the connection until just now. I've said, you need to put everything in writing before you buy the property, before you are financially obligated together because while you're still friends. Because, hey, David, let's partner on a deal. We're great friends. We're going to make so much money. This is going to be so great. And then we partner on a deal. And, oh, wait, David wants to do this stuff. And I don't want to do that stuff. Man, I wish I would have talked to him about this before. Like, what are our plans for managing this property? What are our plans for managing our money while we're married? The the parallels are so crystal clear now. And I feel like a fool for not seeing it before. David, you're brilliant. (laughs) And I feel like an idiot. (laughs) I don't know about that. To to retract the brilliant statement, I'm just going to... You're you're the okayest co-host I've ever had. Uh... (laughs) So... So to to create a laugh here, you're talking about the LLC and we talked about all the, uh, you know, if something goes wrong, all the ways that you mitigate that, right? And yes. you have to plan that out. Well, you know, John, I do know John. so you'll get a kick out of this and the audience will love this because this just shows how goofy and quirky I am in, in my whatever. So we have, well, we're in two LLCs and they, you know, whatever, but one of them is just John and I, the other is three of us. The one that's just John and I, we have all of the normal mitigation measures the last bullet point we put in, if all else fails, that John and I will have a duel with paintball <laughs> guns and we put in a score system, a point system, how much ammo, how many paces, like the whole nine yards. So uh, I just thought that was funny. There's a really no value add to that other than at least we thought it through on all the other things, but that's in there. So if you ever see John, you should ask him about paintball duels in LLC. I John in real life. <laughs> It's so close so many times. Uh, John is my lender uh, and David's partner, uh, real estate partner. But yes. um, I love all of what we've talked about. I do too. This has been fantastic. I wanted to make one more point before we get away from it, though. When I asked how much it was, you said $2,500. That's what your firm charges. And I'm assuming that you're going to be like, that's going to be a normal fee. You're not going to be like, wow, everybody else is a dollar and you're 2,500 or everybody else is 10,000 and you're 2,500. I'm assuming that's going to be kind of a, you know, middle of the road purchase, but, or, or price tag. What I wanted to say is how much is a divorce? I mean, it's 50% of whatever you've got, right? Yeah. The, I mean, the average cost just for the lawyer's fees in a divorce is 15 grand per spouse. Per spouse. And per spouse. And that's the average. You know, I mean, there's some people that that do it uncontested or they agree and they it's it's fast, but there are also ones that go, you know, to seventy five, hundred thousand dollars. Um, I've worked on a case where one spouse alone dropped a million dollars in attorney's fees over the course of the relationship. And man, even if his prenup cost ten grand instead of three twenty five hundred, it would have been it would have been worth it. Um, you know, obviously he had a lot of assets to be able to spend that much, you know, in fees, but, um, it is, 
you know, to your point, it is a fraction of the cost of a divorce. And, you know, beyond the difference in the financial cost, you know, the stress and strain, you know, the uncertainty, the leaving it up to a judge, a complete stranger who knows nothing about you or your life and is going to hear each of you, you know, you and your spouse talk for a few hours and make a decision that impacts your entire financial future. Gosh, I'd sure like to put that back in, in my hands um, rather than leave it up to chance. So, um, you know, in my view, the, the cost is well worth it. I don't ever plan on getting, you know, a divorce, um, but I've already seen tons of benefits of having these conversations and getting on the same page with my spouse in terms of how it plays out in our relationship. So, um, you know, hopefully this is a benefit to some of your some of your listeners. Hopefully somebody who's listening right now is is going to go sit down with their spouse and say, hey, got a, got a few things we need to talk about. <laughs> I hope so. Well, obviously this isn't the example, but I just laugh when you when you said the million dollars on a divorce, my thought process process immediately went to the fact that Mackenzie Scott is the third wealthiest woman in the world because she divorced Jeff Bezos. And and obviously she had a lot more to do with all of that. I'm not saying like she deserves no credit, but it's like if you think about from like the standpoint of somebody like holy crap divorce. I mean, I can only imagine what kind of fees went into all that. Um, and so you're, you're absolutely right. Like planning ahead is so much more affordable than not planning ahead. Absolutely. Uh, Aaron, this has been a very enlightening episode, and I really appreciate all that you have shared with us. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, where can they find out more about you? Yes. So if you want to learn about more about me, if you want to learn about prenups or postnups, you can go to prenups.com, P-R-E-N-U-P-S.com. And uh, there's also links on there to the YouTube page. You can download the free ebook. Um, and if you're in Georgia and want to hear about our other family law services, you can find me at AaronThomasLaw.com. Aaron, this has been fantastic. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a blast. I was just going to ask if we missed anything, if there was any any question that you think is worth tagging on before we get off, because as much as we've probably gone longer than we normally do, I am loving this and learning so much. So if there's something we missed, I would love to hammer it out before we uh, let you go. You guys asked the right questions uh, and let me get in, you know, get my pitch in. I mean, the one parting thought uh, that I would leave you know, people with is, is just to you know, improve your communication about these things, you know, marriage is the most, you know, it's the most important financial partnership you'll ever have. And, you know, it deserves, it deserves conversation. Oh, I love that. Love that. Yeah. So good. It's gonna, you're going to make, mark that as a quote. You better mark that as a quote. I'm, yeah, I'm going to. Aaron, this is, I mean, this is awesome. I'm, I'm going to probably hound you sometime after the show and see what it's going to take to get you to come talk to my mastermind about this so they can pick your brain. Cause this is, uh, I've never thought about any of this and I know so many people it's the exact same thing. And I, my goodness. Um, yeah, I, I had no idea. I, I, what you're exactly right. What I thought I knew about prenups was what is in movies, TV and the news. And I never knew probably 90% of what we just talked about, which is, I, I clearly get excited when I learn new things. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad it's been of help. I'm 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 open for speaking engagements, as you see. So reach out anytime, David. It's been it's been great. Holy cow, David! That was such a great episode. What did you think of Aaron? 
is the second best episode that's ever been on Bigger Pockets Money, right under mine. <laughs> no, that was in, in a real note. I mean, the, you heard it through the show. This was amazing. I, I got it's not very often so much good information yeah it's not super common for not to say that i know everything but like for me to go through an episode and literally like every single conversational point i'm like oh, i didn't know that oh yep didn't know that oh wow i didn't know oh oh, oh. like the whole thing was just yep. gold mine after gold mine after gold mine i loved it what a great point. What a great point. Oh my goodness. I never even thought of it. I never made that connection the whole time. He was fantastic. Clearly has a mastery of the subject and is not there just to push, push, push. He's just presenting this information. Look, this is a really great thing for you to have, to help you run your marriage, to help with communication. And it's a tool to help guide you through mar marriage is hard. Marriages work and marriages work every single day. And if you're not doing the work every single day, the harder it's going to be. And this gives you kind of like an outline or guidelines for how you should be communicating, how you should be spending, how you should be handling different aspects of your marriage. And it's not just money. It's, you know, what do we do if we want to have counseling? Well, I want to get counseling and you're not receptive to it. Oh, he even said you're contractually obligated. I don't, I don't know that maybe that's the best way to phrase it, but you know, if that's the way that you have to phrase it to get your spouse to counseling, you need to go to counseling. And there's just so many good nuggets in this episode. I really, really hope that if you are listening to this and you know somebody who's about to get married, that you share this episode with them and just say, you know, this is not what you think it is. Just listen with an open mind. I really loved this episode and I really loved Aaron. Yep. I got nothing. I mean, that was phenomenal. And I agree. I mean, this was so much information. He was so good. Okay, David, should we get out of here? Uh, not if we can interview him again, because I'm sure I still got stuff to learn. But if not, then I guess we could. Well, he's already gone for the day, so we'll have to bring him back another time. We should leave for now. So, uh, David, from episode 301 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is David Perret from the Military Millionaire Group. And I am Mindy Jensen saying, don't forget to floss, Albatross. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserve. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. 
Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.